I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our Superintendent Series. As always, today's episode is brought to you by Toro. Americans like our utility vehicles the way we like our U.S. Open courses. Rugged. A winner needs to do it all in tough conditions. And Toro's new Workman UTX line is here to get the job done. Any job. Ice and snow removal, tree maintenance, transporting equipment or materials, whatever you need, this commercial-grade, smooth-riding, four-wheel-drive monster has your back. The Workman UTX's proprietary governing system unpairs ground speed and RPM so the operator can limit the machine's speed without gutting the power. Higher RPMs when more oomph is required, less RPMs and less fuel consumption when it isn't. That kind of all-around performance is what champions are made of. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Today's episode is with Sandy Reed, the Director of Greenkeeping at St. Andrews Links. I met Sandy when I was over for the Open this, uh, this year, and uh, Sandy oversees all the courses at St. Andrews, so all seven manages the entire team and is a wonderful guy. Before uh, St. Andrews, he worked at Carnoustie, so... Without further ado, here is uh, Sandy Reed. All right, uh, Sandy, obviously uh, a, a crazy year for you. Can you can you give us an idea? Uh, you know, most people I think look at hosting one major tournament, one big event as a you know a big year. What's it like when you're doing two and you have the, the obviously the 150th open and the last just finishing up last week, the Dunhill? What, what's that like from a, you know, kind of a setup in a, in a golf course uh, strain perspective? Yeah, well, um, I guess preparing for the open, um, it, it, it doesn't really come any bigger than that, but, you know, preparations for that, they've been, you know, they're three or four years in the making, really. So, pretty much our whole whole priority for the year um was around just ha- having the go- golf course set up for that um which we feel we did uh, you know a reasonably good job at as for the dunhill um that whilst it's a big uh, dp world tour event it's actually pretty straightforward for us to prepare for uh, you know at this time of year the grass is almost um stopped growing uh, there's no rough for anything to manage the the only thing we're we're really trying to do is make sure there's no disease <laughs> on the greens you know so um dunhill's relatively straightforward um so but yeah everything that went into preparing for the 150th open you know that, that, that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff goes into that whether it be on the course or infrastructure and um, we're quite a complex site here with golf courses at either side of the old so all the all the tentage and uh, bits and pieces you know it impacts all the courses here so, and that's where um you know that that kept me busy for uh, the first half of the year that's for sure yeah it, what how long was the infrastructure build out for the open obviously it was huge and um 
how much time went into just putting it up? Um, so the contractors, they came on site on the 14th of March um, is when they they came on site. Um, the build started first Monday in April, I'm going to say Monday the 4th, there, thereabouts. Um, so, yeah, there would be a good um, three full months of, um, of, of build. Um, now, if... In the early weeks, it was fairly gentle. It was mainly mainly uh, grandstands in the early early wee while. The tentage it really ramped up um, in that last sort of six or eight weeks uh, out. Um, the tented village that that sits on our driving range, our golf academy. That, that, that was a fairly substantial build, right enough. Um, so we had to close that down just at the end of April, if I recall. Um, so that was fairly uh, complex, but yeah, I, I believe it was probably the biggest. Um, infrastructure there's ever been at the the Open. Um, I go to the Open every year pretty much, and I've, I've worked at a, three at Carnoustie prior here, but you know, different scale altogether. So you've worked at Carnoustie and uh, and the and St Andrews. I, we're going to take those away. What what's your favorite? Uh, you just you know mentioned going to the Open every year. What's your favorite venue, non Carnoustie or the old? Um, I would say um, Burkdale probably um i've not played them all i've not uh or i've played muirfield but i've only played i only played this foursome so i've only played nine, nine holes if you like um mm-hmm. uh, half the course burkdale's probably my favorite out, out, out the rest um they're, they're all great in their, their own way um i've not played st george's um and not really got inside the ropes per se i was down i was at the open there last year but with the COVID restrictions, we didn't really get a great chance to get inside the ropes to really appreciate the the, the course. Um, but I would say Burkdale's probably my favourite out with uh, the, the the two that I've I've been at. Um, and back to back to the Dunhill and the Open. How so? Did all the infrastructure come down, and did new infrastructure go up? How did that work? Yep, every single thing came down. Um, all uh, from the Open, albeit some of the actual equipment just got stored on site and then got rebuilt again just in a slightly different location okay. or on a smaller <laughs> scale um and uh, funny you know some of the contractors it was the same guys you know and on 26th of august they officially finished with the rna and on the 29th of august they started with img who, who run the the dunhill so same guys using the same stuff but just building it in a slightly different place that's that's funny it's, uh, they just bring it down put it back up three days later so you yeah. you just uh it's going to be like what in terms of the turf and like having stuff on it for effectively almost a year now. What what are we what are you looking at in terms of just the the damage done to it and and the bounce back from it? Yeah, um it depends what infrastructure was on the turf. Where there was the grandstands or bleachers, um that's pretty that's pretty minimal you know there was a lot of there was still some daylight and air got underneath them where the tentage was and the trackway you know the metal trackway where all the the big uh, articulated lorries come in that's really where we've lost a lot of grass uh so on top of it being down for so long we've had a very dry year as you you'd have seen at the open um and it's actually continued to be a little bit drier than average perhaps post open we've had some heavy spells of rain but um Recovery has perhaps been a little bit slower than we would have perhaps anticipated. We, you know, been doing a lot of variation, a lot of seeding, a lot of uh, feeding. But um, 
it's going to be well into next year before we get full recovery. You know, there's some areas where the hospitality was on the on the second hole of the Eden, uh, which is quite bad. Some of the driving range where the tented village was. So yeah, it's uh, there's some substantial stuff there. But the, here we've non-stop since the Open. The guys have been working on it, getting seed in the ground. So. Um, the challenge is we've had golf, <laughs> you know, all this infrastructure and other golf courses. We have had golf on top of us. So, you know, getting the opportunity to get in there and do the work and have the, have the young grass get some, you know, time to itself without getting trampled has been the tough thing for us. That's, I mean, you effectively operate like the, uh, the biggest municipal facility in the country. And I think uh, how hard is it to do course projects at a, at a public golf course where you don't really have shutdowns i think you know everybody always and i'm one is clamoring for in america at least municipal golf to start to do some projects but then you know the aspect of shutting down the t-sheet is is a really difficult thing how do you guys you know go about doing bigger projects in this case recovery uh from the from the tournament while people are you know playing and you have packed t-sheets yeah, it, it it can be quite tough. That's for that's for sure. Um, in fairness, um, you know, well, we have geez, best part of six and a half thousand ticket holders that play play golf here. Um, so you know, we have to communicate well with them. But you know, generally, everyone's been fairly helpful in, in that regard. You know, I, I talked about that hospitality tent on the second of the Eden. You know, we, we shortened it to a par three in advance and we played it for a par three for a few weeks uh, thereafter. And mo- most people are pretty understanding. Winter time, it's sim- similar. We have, you know, have some decent side projects on the go each winter time. Um, we have a couple of sort of maintenance days um, through the winter that can help us just get some of the work done. Or we just have to try and move the T markers around best we can. The, the problem is we have got a few of the clubs. They still actually play ha- handicap counting competitions uh, here too. So there's challenges uh, uh, with uh, around that. But we we, we find a way. Um, basically, you know, we, we, we'll work around um, the golf best we can. And, and generally, there's not really an issue. I, I want to talk uh, a little bit about yourself. Um, Where did you grow up, and and how did you get into golf? Um, so I I grew up in. You could see the central highlands of Scotland, a, a, a little village called Blair Athol. Um, so maybe four, uh, almost halfway between Perth and Inverness. Um, and so my father was a deer stalker. Um, he, you know, after red deer and grouse on the on the moors. Um, and I always thought I would be a, I'd follow him uh, uh, into gamekeeping, but. Um, I had played golf. He he did golf, and so um, he would take my brother and I, my younger brother and I, golfing from. I'm going to say I start when I was around about nine, maybe I, I forget, but um, a little nine hole course. At, yeah, nine hole course at Blair Athol. Um, great, great little course, and we um, we had f- family friends that, we, um, that he was the head greenkeeper at Lockery uh, Golf Course, which is another ten minutes down the road. Uh, so when I when I was fourteen, he had asked if I was interested in some holiday work. Um, so I I did I, ju- I jumped at that. So for three years, four, when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I worked at Easter and summer holidays at, at Putlockery. Um, at the end of that, when it came time for me leaving school, I, I was never going to stay on too long at school. I kind of wanted to leave when I was sixteen. Um, I decided I want I wanted to give greenkeeping a shot. Um, signed up for a one-year basic greenkeeping course at Elmwood College, which is actually not too far away from St Andrews here, only 15 minutes away from St Andrews. But uh, yes, signed up as a 16-year-old, uh, did 
one of your basic kind of greenkeeping stuff, but stayed on site at college, loved it. Um, and then I guess the fortunate thing for me was I, I got a job at the end of it. You know, you, you, um, you wrote, wrote a pile of letters um, away, um, or what I should say, one of the modules we did at college uh, wasn't just greenkeeping. One was on communications and teaching you how to write a letter uh, properly. And so I, I remember writing, I'm going to say it was like 27 or 28 letters to golf courses all around the sort of north and east of Scotland. That, that was kind of where my family were from and where we holidayed. I was more comfortable. I knew the golf courses. So that was the day, I guess there was typewriters, but I think I, I would have handwritten all these letters. Um, 27 or 28, and I, I got one response, and the response was offering me a position. Um, and this is where I think perhaps it may be a little bit of fate, good luck, whatever. Um, I had put on the letter that I was from a gamekeeping family. So um, the guy that offered me a job he um he was into his shooting and his dogs training dogs and stuff and I think rather than any of my greenkeeping qualifications it was the fact that I said I was a the son of a gamekeeper was probably kind of piqued his interest um so and that was at a place called Lethem Grange um, which is probably it's sadly closed down a couple of years ago but that's maybe about 10 15 minutes away from Carnoustie uh, so I was three years there uh, and then uh, fortunately got an assistant's job at, at Carnoustie but uh, what before I finish what I should say is that guy that offered me the job back in '94, he's now my father-in-law. So, uh, <laughs> no way. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, I met. So you got a job. You got a job, and and you met your wife. I met my wife uh, there as well. Yeah, so we're still uh, happily together all these all this time later. Yeah, that's wild. You know what? What is interesting way to get into the business, but but also just you know what an amazing first job, right? Yeah, you know, changed your life really. Yeah, absolutely. In so many ways. Yeah. Um. What? What? You know. When you started working as a as a kid and uh, during holiday and you know and part time, what was it about the green about the jobs and and working on the golf course that you liked uh, and made you want to do that rather than you know kind of going following in the family footsteps? Um. Well, I guess it was still an outdoors type thing. Um. I think I really enjoyed the 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 sense of achievement of of doing a task and seeing it completed and you know enjoying the fruits of your labor if you like you know there was a almost a, a fairly immediate sort of sat, uh, sense of satisfaction from completing a job and in those days when I was at school I wasn't really on the equipment it was raking bunkers and brushing grass and stuff but um I, I think I just enjoyed kind of trying to do a job and doing it doing it well i think that's really the the catalyst um for for getting me into it Mm -hmm. it's uh i think about that like i was out at a golf course this morning uh you know shooting some stuff uh filming and i was just thinking about like how when you're mowing a green it's just like when you're mowing a yard but that idea of like you can see the progress and then you finish it and it's very like kind of it, it 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 is rewarding. There is like a nice sense of uh, accomplishment when you when you finish these types of things. Um, and so, how did you get looped in at Carnoustie? Was that were you just looking for a, a, a new place to move up to, and and that was uh, you know how how did that work? Um, no, that was um, th- there was a, a, a an advertisement in the local newspaper. Um, I hadn't hadn't been looking for a, a job, but um, yeah, uh, an advertisement came up, um, and I, I I applied for it, and um, 
yeah, got the job. It was um, fairly straightforward. I, I, what I do remember, I had one of the longest interviews in my life. So the um, the superintendent at that point was a, a, a you could say a legendary greenkeeper in, in UK circles, a guy called John Philp, um, and he had um, pretty much transformed Carnoustie, if you like. You know, it was in a pretty sorry state when he took over in '85, um, and he had turned its fortunes around. Um, it was just a big snowball effect as it got better it got more you know more visitors more income and we were able to spend more but by that point you know i started there in 97 so that point they had already hosted two scottish opens in 95 and 96 the open was coming around the corner in 99 so you know when the the advert came up i jumped at the chance of going for it um had an interview with john that lasted yeah two or three hours and i didn't do very much talking i can i can tell you he's uh john's one of the most enthusiastic guys you'll you'll ever meet so um yeah but i i got the job there um and you know just over the years kind of managed to work work my way up but it's it's a it's a real real special place canoosty you know i still hold it fondly in my in my heart you know you know all the work that we we did there um um and and how 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 good the turf is I, i look at it you know from a turf manager and um, it takes a bit of beating. Yeah. Um, with you, as you, you described John as a, uh, as a legend, you know, when you worked for him, what was kind of the biggest thing that you took away? Um, how did he shape you as an individual? Um, he, he was a hard worker. Um, I like to think I was a hard, hard worker, but he, he, you know, um, I, I felt you could, um, he wouldn't necessarily pat you in the back, but you you, you knew you were. I always th- thought I was kind of trying to please him, um, uh, put my best foot forward. Um, I enjoyed my work uh, too, but he was so enthusiastic about the turf and the game. He's a bit of a historian, you know. He he really knows his stuff about the game, especially the Open and you know Tom Morris, and he he could really talk about the history of Carnoustie, especially. Um, but he was such an enthusiast for for the turf, um, and, and you know, and, and the challenges he he would have had to, to try and make it better. Um, he he was perhaps a little bit more, uh, I don't know what word, not ruthless, but he he didn't care so much about the golfers. He just got on and <laughs> did the work, and you know, if there was flack coming his way, he just accepted it, you know, and just moved on. He he knew he was doing it for the the betterment of the course. Um, so he, he you know there was nothing really stopped him in in, in terms of. Um, doing what he felt was best for for the turf and 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 turn uh, and turn the course um so yeah a real just a enthusiastic guy about his, his vocation and and the game um two things i i love myself for more than a century with cutting edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too in fact toro's always had your back period Toro is as committed to your long-term success as Toro pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at ToroGolf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Now back to Sandy Reed. So you worked your way up and... Um, and were you became ran essentially the maintenance uh program at Carnoustie over the years um what were your you know favorite parts of of Carnoustie just as a place in general and and how you guys went about maintaining it um 
well, a couple of things you talked earlier, you know, just the standards uh, of turf quality, turf presentation there. Um, it kind of almost became a little bit addictive, just trying to see how, you know, looking how, you know, figuring out ways that we could make it better. You know, the attention to detail um, wasn't just in the turf, you know, bunker preparation, the, the bunker revetments, in my eyes, You'll, you'll not see bunkers built any better, you know, to a, 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 a better quality. Um, and the golf course, especially the championship course, there's three courses, 54 holes at Carnoustie, you know, three super courses. But the championship course, it's a special place, you know, it's a real, you know, it's a test of your game for starters. But there's so many different challenges that it kind of throws at you. You know, the the, the bunkering, as in the, the strategic element of the bunkering around there, takes a bit of beating too, you know. So, um, and, and, and you do know that, that, that it's, you know, there's so much history at a place like that, as there is here that um, people, loads of people in my shoes before me had had similar challenges, uh, more difficult challenges perhaps. Um, but, we're, you know, we're looking after, of course, and all, all, ha- all had their, um, left their mark in some, some way or another, you know, had all, all looked to make some form of improvements, uh, especially at Canusti, um you know, there had been, quite a few changes there over the years perhaps a little bit more difficult to achieve that sort of thing here at the old course with what you said about the bunkers the best built bunkers um what what makes them so well built i I think it's just the the sharpness if you like um round the round the you know how how they fit into the ground i I guess where maybe canoosti does differ though um a lot of the the bunkers at canoosti aren't really pot bunkers per se the more up in your face, you know. There, you hear it's Andrews. A lot more of the bunkers probably sit down into the ground a little bit more, whereas Carnoustie they probably sit up. Um, so the, you know, how you tie that into the ground, um, uh, perhaps is um, can be a little bit more visually impressive. I, I guess you know you see more of the bunker. Um, but the guys there, and that was well before my time. You know, they just built a good bunker. They, you know, they get their their angles good. Just the slopes of the tapers, the quality of turf. You know, the run-ins. You know, just the the, the shapes um, that that suits the ground, makes maintenance, I guess, easier too. Um, gathers gathers the ball in the right way. Um, I'll, I'll, here, loads of play, people build great bunkers, but I, I go when I go back there. Yeah, I still look at them, and think, yeah, we, I, I'd love to get to that stage uh, here at St Andrews. What would you say is like, you know, in terms of when you think back to Carnoustie, what was the the biggest challenge to to presenting that golf course on a, on a daily basis? What what was kind of the thing that would keep you up at night? Um, I've often always said I've never I don't know that I've ever been kept up at night thinking about turf. I've been <laughs> kept up at night thinking about people. Um. <laughs> But I don't know that I've been kept up and <laughs> thinking about turf. Um, but though I guess in relation to that, it, it just um, you know that you, you don't necessarily have a, a, a places not just Canoosie, a lot of links courses, a lot of courses around the world, I guess. But you know the time that you've got in the morning um, to do your prep and then golf right on the back of you. You know, you, um, even in the height of the summer, you know, you might only have an hour. Um, and if you're trying to do maintenance as in top dressing or spraying and you know you really have to uh think on your feet uh, the amount of times that 
we would do stuff on a Sunday evening, you know, to try and get a head start. You know, Sunday evenings are might you know behind the, the last of the visitors, you'd make a head start to some of the spray operations or top dressing. At least get six greens done, um, just so that you had that head start in the morning to, to to ensure you didn't get swallowed up by the golf the next day. Um, so that was probably uh, some of the biggest challenges, I would say. Mm-hmm. What um you know, so you're running Carnoustie. Um, how did the job at St. Andrews come up and were you immediately interested? I imagine you probably, I, I can't imagine there's a job that's, you know, bigger or, or, or necessarily better. Um, but like walk us through that whole process. Yeah. So uh, there is a bit of a story to that. Um, so you're right. It is, it is, I guess in my eyes, it doesn't really get any bigger than St. Andrews, but also in my eyes, I was at the next best place at Carnoustie. You know, I, I you yeah. know, I had a, a great job there. We were very settled. Um, you know, I've, I've got a great wife and two super kids who were at that point eight and five, I think it was. Um, so yeah, a month. It was a month. I was so I was preparing for the Open in twenty eighteen, um, and then three weeks before the Open. Um, it was announced that Gordon Moyer, my uh, uh, predecessor here, he was going to be retiring, which he that, that in essence was early retirement. He was only 59 at the time. So not that I had ever caught myself thinking about St. Andrews, but if I did, you know, I always thought, well, Gordon's got a long time before he would ever retire. Um, so, yeah, he announced just at the end of June 2018 that he was retiring and my head was a little bit scrambled, to be honest, because you're preparing <laughs> for the Open and then yeah. you're thinking, well, the only job that I would maybe ever turn my head is now up, and yeah, it, it took it took me a, a long time to 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 figure out if I was ever going to apply for it. And, and you, you know, the um, I had some conversations uh, with agronomist um, John Philp, my uh, my former boss at Carnoustie, uh, and it wasn't until my wife had said, "Look, I think you're going to have to go, go for it." That I, that I did. You know, we had a few years earlier, we bought what we thought was our forever home as well. You know, um, so there was a, there was a lot kind of. A, a lot in, in in the mix, but so yeah, I, I, the the interviews came around. I did absolutely no preparation for the first interview because um, I still wasn't convinced that I wanted the the, the job. Um, it was right for me, uh, so I did no preparation. That was a fairly uh, relatively informal. That was with um, uh, at that point, Ewan Loudon. He was the former chief executive here at St Andrews Links Trust, and my uh, predecessor, Gordon Moyer. So it was more of a sit down chat with them. Um, and then the sec- there was a second interview maybe a couple of weeks later. But by the time that came around, I was ready. Was the first one, first interview, like in the lead up to the to the Open at Carnoustie? Or was it after? It, it was after. Uh, yeah. So Okay. I just was curious. I was, I was thinking, you know, you oh, know what? maybe. I've missed out a part of the story here. Um, I'm getting carried away. So the closing date was the, the Friday after the Open. Um, and I still hadn't, yeah, I still hadn't made my mind up. <clears throat> um, the applications, there was no email applications. It was applications by post. So on the Thursday night before the closing date, I drove over from Carnoustie to St. Andrews with my application because I couldn't I couldn't get it here in time. So it was last, it was really last minute that I, I made the decision <laughs> to do it. So I, um, Right under yeah, the wire. Yeah, I, I drove over eight o'clock on the Thursday night with my application. Um, so that, that, yeah, that's how that came about. So, um, and then, the, yeah, the interview, first interview must have been early, early August. Um, so second interview came around. By that time I was ready, you know, I, I wanted the job. There was perhaps that competitive 
part two, you think, well, I want to make sure that I'm, I show that I'm the best, the best, you know, you know, I, I didn't know who would be applying for it, but you can, perhaps there was that element too, but I was ready um, um, at, at that point to say, yeah, uh, St. Andrews is the, is the job that I want. Um, unfortunately, that I came through that process that involved the, the chair, uh, chair of the trustees and the chair of the links management committee, as well as chief exec and my uh, former director of greenkeeping and yeah. Uh, Came came through on top of that process, um, and it's been it's been great. So, do you live in St Andrews proper? Yeah, we moved over. So, Canusie's not far. It's only maybe a forty five minute commute. Um, but I guess that was one of the challenges when the job came up. I've always lived pretty close to my my work. Always within five ten minutes. Um, and also at that point, my wife's health hadn't been so good. She wasn't driving through uh, because of epilepsy, and I had the young kids. And I thought, well, if if I moving work if I was going to move work to St Andrews and my wife can't drive and the young kids need ferried about for some reason you know I'm you know I'm 45 minutes or an hour at night time from getting home from being able to help out so I always felt that if I, if I was to get the job at St Andrews it meant moving home um so we we managed to get we we're fortunate we managed to get a house in, in the town um just maybe six months after I started here um and it, so it's great living in the town really is What's it, what's your favorite part about living in 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 St Andrews? Um, I feel like I didn't get like the the normal experience. Obviously, being there the week of the open, it was a bit hectic, but it, it seems like an amazing town to live in. Yeah, it really is. You know, um, it, it, it's like living in a city, but in small. You know, it's got a, a lot of amenities. There's a, there's a lot of things here that you can do. A lot of great places to eat and drink. A lot of good stuff for the kids. Um, you know, activities for the kids. Obviously, golf courses on your doorstep. The beach. You know, um, West Sands is next to the golf courses here. Great place to come. Um, schools. Schools are good. Um, yeah, it's just it's just an all round nice uh, nice town. What uh, so you take over like a massive operation, and you obviously have I, how many how many people on staff do you have? Um, I have sixty nine staff, uh, sixty nine permanent staff within the greenkeeping function. What you know? How do you how do you implement change if you if you want to change something? Like you know, I, obviously everybody's been doing things you know a certain way, and I imagine you come in and everybody's different. They you know you. You know, everybody runs things a little bit differently. How how did you go about that process of of implementing the way you wanted things run with a staff that you know had been working for somebody else? Yeah, I, I guess um, I would say yeah. I'm geez, almost four years in, and I still wouldn't say that I've implemented too much in the way of change. But I don't know that I'm that way in, inclined. Um, you know. It's a very similar position here than it was at Carnoustie. You know, you're you're charging multiple courses, but you've got superintendents underneath you. And I was in their shoes. I was I worked under John Philp at Carnoustie. I was looking after the championship course, but I didn't want John telling me what to do. You know, I wanted my place. I wanted the accountability, the responsibility of looking after the the course. So I've always tried to manage my course managers or head greenkeepers that way. Give them their space to do that. So if I'm looking to implement change, it's not I'm not going to dictating stuff to them. I, I want them to have the freedom to manage things how they want, so long as the results are good, you know. And they're all doing a great, great job, but they just get there slightly differently, you know, in, in terms of how they manage their turf. But really, for me, it's just about um, it's having chats. It's been in the guy's ears, you know, and just you know, it's have you thought of this? You know, it's suggesting rather than 
dictating. Um, but there has been one or two, you know, changes I have have made, and um, I, I think, but I've, generally, it's been through agreement with the guys too, you know, and w- whether that be to structural elements in the team or even influence on the courses, you know, we're changing, you know, whether it be a winter, a couple of winter projects. Um, but we, we kind of talk through it as a kind of a collective, really. Um, but, you know, I like to make sure that I get their input. All, all the course managers, they've been here a lot longer. Um, they're, most of them are older than me, too. So, um, you know, they know they know the site well. They know it better than I do. So, I, you know, I have to I have to rely on them for, for, for a lot of that. Your role in, in your role at Carnoustie, you're not day to day out, you know, looking at every golf course and examining it like you would as a course manager running your own golf course you know do you miss what are i guess do you miss and what aspects of being a course manager do you miss from your current job absolutely i miss it miss it every day um yeah i'm fortunately stuck in the office most most of the week now um i think it maybe goes back to i think what i said earlier on about as a youngster it's it's that sense of achievement maybe achieving something physical you know that that's what you what's what i miss but even I've always to go back down a level to say when I was the head greenkeeper at the uh, the championship course at Carnoustie, I would view it as I had my plan, whether it be for a day, a week, a month, a year, a winter, whatever. I had my men, I had my equipment, you know, I had my materials, and you, you know, you you would plan around that, get your jobs done, and you could you could see that you know that reward of what what you had in your your mind what the the, the program you, you you had ahead of you um so i miss that now you know the 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 wins i get are um they're not quite so tangible if you like um it's not quite the same physical aspect um so i do, I, I do miss getting out on on the equipment uh, or, or 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 being involved in some of the day to day kind of running elements but that that just goes with the territory um and um you know I, I enjoy seeing that I've perhaps had an influence on, you know, a- anyone on the team, not just the course managers or their deputies, but a- anyone that, you know, uh, when I can, I try to speak to them just, even if it's just to pass the time of day, but trying to get to know them and, uh, you know, figure out if I can help them in any way. You, you said you give your course managers a lot of autonomy and, and let them kind of run their golf course, present their golf course the way they'd like to present it. Can you give us an example of how, um, you know, your different courses at St. Andrews differ just based off of the course manager and how, and their philosophy, how they, how they present the golf course? Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I'll start just to give you an idea of the difference, different responsibilities they have, you know, in the, t- the team underneath me. So whilst there's seven courses or six and a half, if you like, six, 18s and a, a nine, it's, it's not like I've got seven different course managers so i've got a course manager for the old course he just looks after that alone um there's a course manager looks after the new and the jubilee with as one team now he's in the same facility as the course manager in the old course then i've got a team that look after 45 holes that look after the eden side that's a single team um and that two of their courses are built on slightly different grounds, still links, but had formerly been agricultural ground, USGA or allegedly USGA greens on, you know, 27 of the holes over there. Um, and then we've got the castle course outside the town, which is completely different. It's built on clay, very much link style, uh, but USGA greens uh, up there. So they've all got slightly different things they need to look after um, and consider. I guess the closest ones really are the old new Jubilee and the Eden 
um, would be you know proper old school links courses where they're a hundred years plus old. So there you know a lot of similarities there. The old has more play than the rest. You know, the, and, and you know the, the the way it is uh, is built. You know, the trafficking on the old courses is is one of the key. Uh, challenges you know everyone's off the one side of the green uh, and that that's uh, that's one of the the main challenges they they have um expectations are obviously pretty high in the old course um all year round we have visitors um you know 98% occupancy in the old course uh, for the year so the 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 pressure to keep things you know uh, presentable and, and good nick it, well, it's the same across all the courses really but the the new and the jubilee you know they they're uh, and to an extent they're, they're perhaps They've got even less time in the morning to prepare in front of the, the local golfers. They're getting chased around, you know, it might, might be a two ball that's out first and they'll nip around in two and a half hours, you know, and it's, um, so it can be tough for the guys to, to get that opportunity to do their, their sort of maintenance. So they have to kind of box clever there. Um, Eden side's similar. Um, and then you've got the team numbers as well. So that pound for pound, the old course has got uh, the most men per hole, if you like, you know, it's got uh, the the teams. The four teams are almost comparable in size, but they look after a different amount of, of golf holes. Um, but there, yeah, there's a lot of different challenges, a lot of different competitions they all have to deal with. Castle does it closes in the uh, for four months in the winter time, which helps them. Um, but then they've got the pressure of making sure everything's right all the way through the summer. It's um, a lot of visitors go up there too, um, they, but they don't get any maintenance done. Their, their seeding work they'll do when the course closes in early November, um, rather than in the what we might call the growing season. So, um, f- a few different challenges ac- across the the four teams really. Do do you notice a uh, you know like just a, a difference in how like do the the managers of of those facilities just how how they go about process or are you guys trying to present? as similar conditions across the courses as possible. We are trying to present similar conditions, but they definitely have different processes. They, they're different, different outlooks on, you know, nutrition, wetting agent, um, top dressing is all very similar, you know, sa- uh, or sand inputs in terms of the, the targets for organic matter in the greens, but, but they all have, they, all the course managers have a different, a slightly different style, which is fine because the results that they're achieving are all, are all first class in my eyes. So um, I'm, I'm fine with that. Obviously, something a big topic is has been climate change, and I'm curious if climate change or the threat of it has impacted how you guys do your job or the maintenance of the course, um, and if you've if you've planned for any of the effects of it. Yeah, it, it, it does seem to be having a little bit of effect. What, what I guess perhaps more of it's anecdotal, but what we're finding is the spring seems to be colder and longer than it has been in the past, which has meant growth is a little bit behind getting into the season. Um, You're finding that winters are generally slightly milder. And then rainfall, you've seen this year, it's been a, you know, what we call a drought. Um, But what you're finding, it's kind of feast or famine, you know, you'll get dry, prolonged periods of dry weather, and then all the rain will come at once. So I wouldn't be surprised by the year end, we're back to our average in terms of rainfall. But it'll all have fallen in a in a, in a sort of shorter window of window of time. What what part of the of the property is most susceptible to the erosion? Um, what part of the? I guess obviously the beach, but then maybe the golf aspect. Um, the the most delicate bit is probably the. It's actually on the on the Eden Estuary, so on the sort of. Um, it wouldn't be a million miles away from say the the eighth tee in the old. If you went up along east a little bit from there, um. 
So you know, right behind the eleventh, um, the eleventh green on the old, um, you know, we've got gabbing baskets along the Eastern Estuary, and that they end another maybe three, four hundred yards up, um, four hundred yards beyond that. So immediately as you get beyond the gabbing baskets, there's a, as you can imagine, there's a weak area there with you know the water. There's a bit of water ingress. It also is in alignment with the the actual burn, uh, the sorry, the river uh, course of the Eden that comes through the Eden estuary, it puts a little bit extra pressure on on that that dune there. So um, and the wind, the way the wind batters there. So that that's our probably our weakest spot. Um, that's formerly had two. Um, Beach recharges, you know, perhaps uh, uh, best part of twenty thousand tons of sand driven in to almost recreate the dune and the beach there, and that's another thing we're planning for in the next few years. So it's a case of just um, holding the line, if you like, um, really just trying to maintain what we have there. Um, some further round in the Eden next year, actually on the, on the Eden course, you know, that's perhaps we might be most susceptible to a coastal flood. Um, if, if some, you know, um, and and we had a, I think twenty ten was the last bad one we had there. Um, down at the Swilkin, you know, there was a bad one there again. Twenty, maybe it was the same time twenty ten. Um, there was a bit of June loss there, but that was recharged, and that's you know that's actually growing. You know, there's we're we're a creating ground there, but um, you might say you know that the, the Swilkin is tidal, and some high tides, the, the the tide can come right up there. Doesn't quite burst its banks but maybe if you had a a bad coastal storm it potentially could but um yeah i I would say eden estuary is actually the 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 most delicate point for us just now where what's your favorite part of the property where you know just if you were if you were going to go for a walk where would you where would you want to walk I guess anywhere along that Eden Estuary and right out to what we call the outhead, it's the it's the point at the, where the Eden Estuary meets the North Sea, if you like, um, right out there, out by you know the eighth green of the Jubilee, beautiful spot out there. You know you you kind of look over to Lookers and Tentsmuir Forest, see right back down into the town, you see back down through the golf courses. So probably that's the that's the nicest spot. You know, there's a little bit of height there as well that just helps you see uh, a little bit more of the the ground around about you. I so that's where you'd go if you were going on a Sunday Sunday stroll. Yeah, you would go, or and often it might be up just walking up the beach, you know, all the way up the West Sands Beach, and then just nip round the corner up and into the dunes. Yeah, that 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 would be as a popular spot, and I'm no different really. Um, t- tell us about how being closed in a park on Sunday impacts maintenance. Obviously, I. I think that was one of the things that had the biggest impact on me uh, was the idea of, of the major championship ending. And I walked out of the media center maybe two hours after and, and people are all over the course. People are having effectively like a picnic in the pot bunker on the 17th hole. You know, kids are, kids are hitting golf shots. I mean, it was, it was, it was such a neat scene and atmosphere and, um, you know, I think America that doesn't happen really at any, any golf courses. And most would say point to they're going to, nobody's going to take care of the course and it's going to get beat up. Does, is that, you know, does it make more work for you guys? Like what, can you just maybe just talk about Sunday close being closed? Yeah. Well, um, so Sunday, it's close to give it a rest, as old Tom Morris would have would have said. But it probably the old course probably gets more people walking a Sunday than it does Monday to Saturday combined. When when you see it, um, in fairness, most people are pretty respectful. You know, we have 
people and dogs and bonkers and stuff, you know, we always know that on a Monday morning there's going to be some extra work. But, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, there's not too much in the way of other damage goes on. Folk are generally fairly respectful. Um, we do use it as an opportunity to do some of the maintenance on the old. You know, if we have top dressing operations or spray operations and, you know, and the weather's conducive, we'll try and achieve that on a Sunday morning. So we'll generally have a few more staff in on a Sunday than we would on a Saturday when there's still play on. So, yeah, we, we, we use Sundays as, a, as an opportunity to get some work done, I guess, early on as we uh, too, because there's still public come out. But I, t- I tend not to come down in, on, a, on a Sunday because it, it does up. You know, I'm I'm not necessarily used to seeing that many people on the course at once. It would just get me upset when I see you know kids and bunkers and dogs running right and skidding, picking up balls. So I tend not to come down and look at it. But um, you know, in, in fairness, there's it, it causes a very little issue, and it's great. I th- it's it's a great thing for the community. You know, and and, and the, it's not just the local community. There's plenty of others come, but I think um, you know it's, it's it's great to be able to share our facility um, with uh, with other people. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful spot to walk, you know. I, I'd imagine that, you know, part of the reason that it's worked where you haven't had like major problems is that it's, you know, the fact that it's open every Sunday creates almost like a, it's like, no, it's a normal place to go. And there isn't any, you know, and there's a lot of pride, obviously, within the community for it, right? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, you, you're right. Um, um, you know, if you are down it, you know you see a lot of similar people out certainly in in the early stages of a day um and i think you're right you know it's the links is really you know it's we're sort of the links touch we're custodians of it if you like on behalf of the people of the town so everyone in the town appreciates what the you know the the courses here you know the the links is for them is for the town so yeah people do um they do appreciate they do respect it What's the best time to visit outside of, you know, summer? If you're going to golf or if you're just going to come and visit? Because I would say for golf, your best time, I would say September's a great a great month. You know, like in the UK in general, I would say September's a great month for golf, especially in the Lynx course. The fescue's really kind of really strong in September, you know. Um, I would also say September's a great, great time. It would be one of my favorites, I would say. Um, but you can get some great weather. You know, we're just well, it's still ha- partly in September there. But other than Friday, you know, the Dunhill, we had some great weather at the Dunhill there. Um, some great, you know, the sun's just that little bit lower too. You know, cast the shadows over the place again. It shows it off at its best. So I, I would say early autumn. Yeah, when those when those shadows come, it's just it's unbelievable how spectacular yeah. it is. Um, I, we saw how baked out. How brown, you know, I don't know if baked out is the best term, but just how brown, how fast the golf course played at, at the old, uh, at the open. It was, it was incredible. You know, what type of strain at that point was put on the grass? Like what were you ever, you know, were, you know, you and the, the team ever worried about, about the grass and then how long did it take to bounce back? And like, what, what are we talking about in terms of recovery? Like it, the moment the tournament ended, what what was going on? Yeah, think, think, things were very dry. And if we, if we were talking about the, the, well, I'll talk a little bit about the, the run-up. It was, it was a very dry year um, from sort of April, really. It has been a very dry year. But we were um, <clears throat> keeping moisture levels where we were, you know, within target, we still had play right through till the sort of third uh, end of the third week of June, 
So we're having to maintain uh, the turf for just the challenges of that. But um, we we always know that turf can, given the right weather, turf and the links environment can dry out pretty quick. Um, and we were always, you know, you know, obviously in conjunction with Arnie, looking to try and get a firm, fast um, course. And that's years in the making through top dressing. You know, even had it been a green course, it would have still been quite firm. But we had managed that moisture, um, you know, kept it at a level, and then just gradually brought it brought it down. And we had a target in our in our in our heads, um, you know, where we would like to be, to, you know, with a moisture to get a certain firmness on on the greens. Um, but in reality, we we actually got drier. We were able to keep things drier and firmer than we thought we could, while still maintaining control of the turf. So the the challenges you've got, you know, if things get drier, things get faster and firmer. But if if it gets that dry, your your speed can sometimes get out of control. You know, you can't slow up again. But um, fortunately, you know, w- you know, we worked really closely with the Arnie Agronomy team. Um, we were taking moistures. Uh, twice a day um really targeting in you know certainly through the the uh, the week before the the championship and championship week um we revised our targets down the way more lower than gordon uh gordon mckee the the course manager and i would probably have ever envisaged or been comfortable with in the past but when you see how how you know we had the resource to um are disposable to to manage it you know with all the hand watering in the evening and we were able to keep things really quite um you know, dry and firm, but be in complete control of green speeds. Um, it was it was quite rewarding. But yeah, it'd be lying if you said you were, you know you you weren't concerned that you might not get the bounce back. But you know, as for the bounce back, it, it, you know, no problem at all. You know, the the sprinklers went on on the Sunday night. Really, really, I guess that, that that was the start of it. We got some rain the following week. Yeah, I I was staying in the dorms, looking out. I was I was looking out over one and eighteen, my window. And I remember I woke up Monday or Monday and I, I felt, you know, every morning I'd look out of the course and I felt like it, it looked it, like it had a little bit and it already started to have a little bit different color profile than the days before. Yeah, it did. Well, things had, like I say, things had been dry early, early on. Um, and I'm trying to think, I'm going to say it was, was it two weeks before the open, two and a half weeks before the open, there was a wet weekend that we had. Um which just kind of set us back a little bit. You know, we thought things were just dialed in fine. We were just managing that moisture down. And then we had a weekend, a lot of rain, and things really greened up. Um, and we didn't really know if, we, you know, things would get get back to where they had been. But it turns out they did. Um, you know, things, you know, you could see every day, things just drying out, drying out. Um, and th- you're right, through the championship days uh, as well, you, you, you could tell you could tell the difference. Um, you know, there wasn't much grass coming off the surfaces, I can tell you that. Um, it was, uh, I had similar, uh, Carnoustie in 2018, it was a, a similar yeah. kind of thing back then. Um, probably, funny enough though, there was probably slightly more intense heat back in uh, in 2018, which, which some of the fescue, a lot of golf courses in the UK suffered with recovery in 2018 versus this this year. And um, from what I'm hearing, there's a, a lot um, a lot of the fescue really struggled uh, then. This year, it seems to have coped a little bit better. Um, I can't speak forever. I know down in South England, some of the drought's been real bad this year, and maybe they've lost a little bit more uh, grass uh, than we have up here. But um, no, in general, recovery has been has coped and, and been quite good. So next year, next year, no championships. Twenty twenty four, you got the women's uh, women's open. What is is next year? Just I imagine going to feel a little bit like a like a breeze compared to this year. 
Yeah, well, we do have the Walker Cup next year on the old. Oh, um, I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah, um, so that's ex- uh, exciting. Unbelievable. That's uh, hopefully relatively straightforward to prepare for. It's just early September. Um, but that's it's a going to be like the easiest. Uh, I mean, there's going to be the le- le- least amount of play ever on the old course for, yeah. a, for a week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, what, the, what, and they play foursomes, is it? There's only four matches out, in the, I think, and then there'll be other 10, is it 10 singles, I forget, each day. But um, yeah, we, we do have that. Although, like I say, that, that should hopefully be relatively straightforward to prepare for. It's, you know, just it's the same time we, we have the RNA autumn meeting to pre- prepare for at the start of September every year anyway. So it would just be, it's just, um, you know, uh, keeping things that a little bit final in advance of that but yeah it's it's a busy year bookings are th- sort of through the roof but we expect it to be a busy year on the course um um but yeah yeah we've, we've got the women's in 2024 uh thereafter match play at the old courses i mean that it might be everybody talks like oh it's a great great match play like there might not be a better match play course in in the world than than the old course uh that that's right um it is well it is, a, it is a great course anyway but that strategic element you know there's you know so many different ways you can play some of the holes and yeah i, I can imagine there'll be some some great matches uh with that so yeah it's something we're really really looking forward to it's um you know we've held a lot of water, walker cups here in the past but it was a long time ago you know so um mm-hmm. no it's uh it's great to have the have them back here i the do you think they'll get a little bit more creative with setup like using some some different tee boxes uh for that obviously you know they won't have to worry about scoring and uh people going bananas low i i should i should imagine so um i know again i keep harping back to canusia but uh, you know the um we had the amateur championship in 2015 there and you know mixed things up a little bit there you know you know like so the third hole would put the t markers forward to have them you know have a go at the green i know some of the actually the pros did it off the back tee anyway in 2018 but um yeah i I should imagine for a match play that there'll be some of the holes that um you might you know the might entice them into you know some sort of different shot. Uh, I get, I guess, just have to wait and see. But I should imagine so. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. It's been uh, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, people can find you, obviously, you know, buried in the offices at uh, at at St Andrews. But I, I appreciate the time. It was it was great meeting you this uh, this summer, and I was glad we could do this. And, and congrats on on really. An, a terrific year uh, in terms of championship golf and, and golf on TV. But, you know, from everything I hear from people that have been over there, it's, uh, you know, the, the the maintenance levels of all the courses have been just tremendous. So I uh, appreciate your time and, uh, and look forward to uh, more conversations in the future. Thanks very much, Andy. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you for listening to another edition of our Superintendent Series. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. And as a quick reminder, go visit the Fried Egg Pro Shop. We got a ton of, uh, of new stuff. Unfortunately, we don't ship to the UK for all the UK listeners. Maybe we'll get that done. If you like what we do and you are in America, and in, in the United States of America, it would be uh great if you support us through our pro shop uh all the proceeds there go to us continuing to grow and staff up and do more and produce more uh golf content so 
We've got hats, shirts, all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, Prints. The Pro Shop is at proshop.thefriedegg.com. Thank you for listening to The Friday, and we'll be back with another episode later this week.